Take your Bibles and join me for our Bible study this morning. We're headed to Revelation. Last book in the Bible, headed towards the latter part of that book. Revelation chapter 20 is where we're going to be focusing this morning and this evening. Revelation chapter 20, the first few verses. There's a silly story that comes out that talks about um, this idea of a man who is suffering from forgetfulness and not keeping things straight. In other words, he was just getting older like some of us. And as he was getting older, he was all of a sudden told, hey, there's a cure for this forgetfulness. It's called in surgery where we can give you a new brain. And so he says, really? And the doctor says, yeah, we can take you to a certain hospital. They'll give you new brain cells. And all of a sudden you're going to be able to, you know, be able to be much better. And so in planning that, he went to the hospital where they said, here exactly as we prepare for this, you can have a choice of what type of brain you want. Really? He says, yeah, you can have, here, this type of brain. This one is an engineer's brain. It has really good ability dealing with all kinds of facts and figures and everything put in order. And that brain, we average brain is about, you know, three pounds. So this one only sells, uh, it's somewhat cheap. It's only $500 per ounce in order to get together that brain that you need. He goes, wow, that's a pretty good deal. You know, $500, do you have any others? And they say, oh, yeah, we have one that's a little bit better. It's a lawyer's brain, okay? This one's a little bit shiftier, okay? It can do a little bit craftier things, and you can get it by with stuff that, you know, others can't get by with, and so therefore, that one's $1,000 an ounce. He goes, really? $1,000? He says, any others? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We have this really good brain. Now, there's a hospital selling it, so really good brain. It's a doctor's brain. And this doctor's brain really is highly intelligent, knows all kinds of things. Now, this one, this sells for $5,000 an ounce because it's so good. Wow, I don't know which one to pick. you have any others? Yeah, come here. So take them in the side room. Now don't tell anybody, but this one's our most expensive model. It's a politician's brain. <laughs> it sells for $250,000 per ounce. Whoa, $250,000 per ounce. How come so much? Well, number one, they're hardly ever been used. Okay. <laughs> And number two, do you realize how many politicians it takes to get one working brain? <laughs> we say those things, we joke those things, we tell those silly stories in picking on the politicians. But in all reality, the poor politicians oftentimes get stuck trying to deal with problems that they didn't create. Sometimes politicians are expected to do things that they can't possibly correct. Like you look at our modern social problems, no politician can ever can ever solve the issues. They can't. There's only one person who can. It's Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only one that can solve all of our social issues. And you know what? One day he will. The Bible tells about the time period, and we're talking about it this morning in particular, that we know the next event that's going to happen is the rapture. Jesus is going to come take us to heaven. On earth, there's going to be seven years of the worst time of all of human history called the tribulation. At the end of that seven years, Jesus Christ is going to come back from heaven, and he'll come back to earth, we'll come back with him, and at that time, he'll put an end to all the chaos in the earth, and the next major, major event is Jesus Christ is going to set up his kingdom here on earth. The Bible frequently talks about this kingdom idea. It tells us about this millennium. Now, the word millennium is coming from two Latin words put together, millennium, anno, or annum. It just means a thousand years. Okay? It is this idea that when you read in, in the Bible or you read in other books that talk and use this terminology, it's when Jesus will rule on earth. 
The kingdom of God, heaven on earth type of a concept. It is throughout scriptures that it is mentioned. You go all the way back to Daniel who in the first prophecies of future events, Daniel recorded that idea talking Daniel 2 about the statues of all the world kingdoms. In the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom that will destroy all the others and then take over and dominate the entire world. We read a little bit further in the Old Testament. The Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day shall there be one Lord, talks about all the nations will be under his control. We read even in those prophecies that talk about Jesus coming to this earth, being born. It says, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder of the increase or the extent, the expansion of his kingdom, his government and the peace, there shall be no end. And talks about him being upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom. We go a little bit further when Jesus was about to arrive and the angel is talking with the, uh, with the different characters of the New Testament. They respond, he shall be great, he shall be called the son of the most high. The Lord shall give him the throne of David. He shall reign forever and his kingdom there shall be no end. When Jesus was talking to his twelve, he said, verily, truly, I say unto you that you who have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, you shall be upon twelve thrones. Jesus, when he's talking about his last uh, prophetic events, talking about this tribulation and then his coming again. When the Son of Man shall come, he shall sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all nations. This theme is throughout Scripture. The last portion of Scripture talks about it. Revelation 20. Jump down in the passage, start to follow along as I read with verse 1. I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, even Satan, and bowed him a thousand years, cast him into the bottomless pit, shut him up, set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season." I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. They lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished." This is the first resurrection. And blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. And on such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. This concept of Jesus Christ coming and ruling and reigning for a thousand years is throughout scriptures. Now, when people start saying, when exactly is it coming, there's two different views. This is so important. I didn't want to deal with it, and yet it is so important because some of you are reading other books, you're going to the internet, you're trying to get more research, you're picking up extra biblical literature to help you in your study. You must understand this stuff about what is being taught in most churches today, and you're going to run into it. There are two basic ideas about when Christ will come and rule. One says it's on its way. It's in the future. The other predominant teaching in Christendom is it's here already. There are many churches that teach that Jesus Christ is already ruling and reigning on earth. The theology that it's called is amillennialism. In the Latin that means no millennial 
or not a millennium. It's the idea that there isn't really a physical kingdom, but rather Jesus Christ is ruling here on earth already in a spiritual sense. That Jesus Christ is letting us experience heaven on earth right now. And that the only thing that's, that's had and Satan's bound and the only thing in the future is the next thing to happen is Jesus, there's no rapture, there's no tribulation, there's no battle of Armageddon, nothing like that. The next thing to happen is we're just going to go into eternity. And so there's that thought that says that this is heaven on earth right now. Um, those promises that were made to Israel that were given about how you will, you will enjoy all the promised blessings including prosperity, the entire Middle East as your portion of land, that your, your idea of David will be on the throne, one of his, his uh, descendants, the idea that there's going to be richness and fruitfulness, Th those really weren't meant for Israel. They're for you and me today. We're experiencing all of that today. We're experiencing the fruitfulness of the kingdom. We're experiencing all the expansion of peace upon the earth today. We're experiencing um, understanding God's word in clarity like never before. It's all promises to us instead of to Israel alone. And when you study the Bible, there's no real idea of the tribulation. It's just a symbolism. In fact, the whole book of Revelation can only be understood as metaphors or symbols. When it talks about 144,000, that's not real. It's just a group of somebody or someplace. When it talks about the idea of the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, those aren't real. They're, you know, they aren't, they, they aren't specific events. In fact, when you study the book of Revelation, most of everything is, you know, is going on. And so the problem with this is whoever is reading the book, whatever they think it is, that's what it becomes. There is no authority of Scripture. It's taken away. It's left up to the individual's interpretation. Now, the people who teach this and who promoted, and by the way, it didn't happen for the first few hundred years of church history. It came with the arrival of the Roman Catholic Church, and they adopted this because that gave them the power of all the promises of the Old Testament with all the priesthood and everything else. And so as it developed over a period of time, it became popular that there is no kingdom. And my, and my response to this is, are you nuts? Are you kidding me? I mean, think about it. This is heaven on earth right now? Really? Are, are you telling me that right now we have universal peace? This is the best it gets? Are you telling me Satan is bound right now and there is no demon or de devil tempting the world? We're living in a perfect utopia? Are you telling me that one of the aspects of the kingdom is real purity in the culture, according to Zechariah 14? Are you telling me this is the purest society we'll ever get? For real? You believe that? You think that? I, I look at this and say, if that's true, then I am terribly disappointed in the Bible. Everything that is, all the hope is like, this is the best it gets. The book is far better than the movie. Okay? That's a terrible theology. It's a hopeless theology. Okay? But that's the one that says it's here right now. There is another theology that's broken down that says, okay, it's on the future. It's coming in the future. The kingdom is coming. That is broken down in two, point, two viewpoints. There is a group of Christians today that are saying that it's in the future, but 
post-millennium means Christ will come at the end of the millennium. Okay? After at the end. This view says that after we create a utopia on earth that lasts for at least a thousand years, then Jesus will come and we will turn it all over to him once we get it good enough. Okay? And so Christians, though, our job is to Christianize the world. And we're supposed to do that in socially, political ways. We're supposed to do it economically. We're to bring everybody under the ideas of operating by the Bible. So we need to become so politically active and we need to convert all nations to Christianity. No matter how we do it, we get it done. And once we make the world a better place and we've solved all the social issues, we have all the financial things done, we have medicine at its peak, we've solved all the educational problems, and we've made the world great enough for Jesus just to step in. Star Trek on earth. Okay. That's this whole concept. That whole idea is is that we make the world a better place. And by the way, are there people who are driven by this thought? Yes, a lot, of, a lot of religions, a lot of churches, that our job is to make the world socially the best and the be- greatest place in the world. Now, those who adopted this, there's a lot of Reformed churches that do that as well. Uh, Lutherans lent towards this more than others and some of the other groups. And uh, especially... This became very popular in the, in the mid-1800s and early 1900s. Do you, remember, do you remember with that in society, the Industrial Revolution? The world changed drastically. Okay, now in our mind, it wasn't that big because of what changes we see. But all of a sudden, people living in the 1870s up to the 1925, they saw drastic changes in the world. They saw flight. They saw automobiles. They saw things change in the, in the industry, you know, with, with all kinds of, of new creations. And they felt, hey, this is, this is, we're on a roll. We're all of a sudden solving medical issues. And so then, then all the technology, did it stop or did it advance even further since then? Hello? Okay. Okay, hearing aids must not have worked. But uh, all the advancement... Where are we at today? We just look and say, oh, that was antiquated, but huge, huge in seeing all technology advancements. And I look at this and go, are you, think it through. Think it through. Do you mean we're smart enough to solve all the world problems? Seriously? Washington is going to solve the world's problems? Are you serious? Okay. Then, then, I've, then here's, here's to me the spiritual idiocy of this and danger of this teaching. The spiritual problem is we will shift away from getting out the gospel and come to let's just work on social issues. Let's not talk about being born again. Let's just solve hunger. Let's just, let's not talk about, you know, Jesus Christ, you need to repent and ask him as savior. Let's just educate everybody, get everybody smarter. And then all the world problems will go away. Who, think this through, who would want churches, Christians, to stop giving out the gospel and focus on just poverty alone? Satan. Satan. Let's get people doing all kinds of good deeds, and then what happens? 
They stand before the Lord and they say, we have done this, we have done that, and we have done this. And he will say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never. Yeah. So you look at it and go, this can't jive with Jesus' last words. It just doesn't. Jesus didn't say, go into all the world and stop crime. Go into all the world and make sure there's no social injustice. Now, should we be concerned about those things? Sure. But our, our great commission is go into the world and make disciples. Then I look at it and go, it, if you're going to promote this thought in the early 18, late 1800s, early 1900s, and you were promoting this and saying, we're making the world a better place. Yay, we're making the world a better place. Guess what? It hasn't happened. In the 1900s, after all this technical revolution, there was World War I, World War II, Korea War, Vietnam. It just kept on going. And it kept on going. And today we have world peace. No, you and I as biblicists, we say we know what the Bible predicts. The world is not going to be a better place in time, but rather the Bible predicts that in the latter times some shall wax worse and worse. So that brings us to the view that we hold to, okay? The view that's called premillennialism. Premillennialism says there's a kingdom. It's in the future. This kingdom will be introduced by Jesus, not by us. This kingdom, when he comes, he will return to the earth, and when he comes, he will bind Satan, and he'll be bound for a thousand years, which we'll talk more about next week. And uh, when he comes, everything's going to be just like this passage says. This is the only view that interprets Scripture in a normal, literal sense. For instance... Look at the text I read already. Okay? I read you six verses of Revelation 20. There is a phrase that is used multiple times. Okay? It's 1,000 years. How many times does it show up? Once? Twice? Three times? Okay? It's more, it shows up more than a handful of times. Why in those few verses... Does he say a thousand years, a thousand years, a thousand years, a thousand years, a thousand years? Because he meant a thousand years. Okay? It's just simple. That's like saying, well, if we don't believe, we, we don't believe when he says something, it really means it. Well, then when he says 12 tribes of Israel, how many are there? There's 12. When he says 144,000 witnesses, what does he mean? 144,000 witnesses. When he says that the tribulation will last seven years, divided into two parts, each part will be uh, 42 months or 1260 days, those are specific numbers. He means those numbers. So when he means a thousand years, or when he says a thousand years, he means a thousand years. So we who interpret the Bible in its plain sense we are the ones that hold to this view. And it was held to very early in church history. Do not believe this lie. I don't know if you've noticed, but once in a while people rewrite history. You ever notice that? Okay, when they have a certain agenda to promote, they say, oh wait, this idea of premillennialism wasn't ever believed in early church history. <laughs> That's a lie. That's a lie. 
In fact, here's one of the early church fathers. I and every other completely orthodox Christian feel certain that there will be a resurrection of the flesh followed by 1,000 years in the rebuilt, embellished, and enlarged city of Jerusalem as was announced by the prophets Ezekiel, Isaiah, and others. The early church fathers who were within, within decades of the apostles, they believed in the premillennial and they preached it and they held to it. And so we look and say, okay, we understand from this point of view that there's going to be a kingdom after Jesus returns at the end of the tribulation. But I want to throw something that might be a little bit of a confusion. Jump to Daniel 12. Daniel 12. In Daniel 12, he talks about and uses the numbers and gives us a little bit of an inkling of what happens before the kingdom. Okay? So in Daniel 12, let's set our scene, the chart that we've been using. We are living prior to the tribulation. The next thing that will happen will be the rapture, and then the tribulation starts. In the middle of the tribulation, Antichrist will all of a sudden break the treaty with Israel, set himself upon the throne, and he will enter into the temple and say he is God. That event is referred to as the uh, abomination of desolation. Okay, Jesus used that term. Daniel used that term. That says that in the middle of the tribulation, there's going to be abomination of desolation, the rise of Antichrist to declare he's God. Now, in the, then, then we go on and we read about in the rest of the prophecy that there's going to be Armageddon. Jesus will return. After Jesus returns, he sets up his kingdom. Now, there's a little bit of a glitch here. Okay, and as we study the passage, in this text of Daniel, if you start with verse 1, he's going to be making it very clear in Daniel 12 that he's talking about a trouble, time of trouble such as never was before. He mentions that in Daniel chapter 12, as I mentioned in verse 1, that he says about the time of trouble such as never was. Now jump down to verse 7 in Daniel 12. He's going to be talking about tribulation, and he makes a comment right about in the middle of the passage. He says, and he swear by him that lives forever that it shall be for a time, a times, and a half a time. What's that? That's the same term the book of Revelation used. That's the same term that comes later on. That, that second half of the tribulation is one time, times another two, and then half a time. In other words, three and a half years. The abomination of desolation, second half, three and a half years. He mentions that right here in this text. Then he throws two other numbers up at the very last couple of verses. He says, okay, between that abomin- time of abomination and the return of Jesus is three and a half or 1260 days, and then Jesus comes back. And then he makes another comment in verse 11. He talks about blessed are those who will go all the way until the 1290th day. And then he makes a comment about those who go up to the 1335th day. And he's talking about those who at that time will, have, will uh, enter into the kingdom. What he's doing is he's telling us very subtly that between the time that Jesus comes back at the end of the 1260 days, the second half of the tribulation, there is 75 days before the kingdom actually starts, gets inaugurated. Uh, No surprise. When do we normally, what what, what month do we normally elect a president? When does he take office? Okay, so the time between Jesus coming back and him taking office in the kingdom, 75 days. In those 75 days, what happens? What is taking place? Okay, we think 
We think, because some of these events have to happen. We think it's going to have to be involved the sheep goat judgment. The sheep goat judgment is what we read in Matthew 25 that we preached on the last couple of weeks. It's for those who survive physically the tribulation. When Jesus comes back, they're still on earth. He's going to divide everybody. Those who are his followers, those who are followers of Antichrist. His followers go into the kingdom. Those who followed Antichrist, they end up in hell. That's what we've preached to you the last two weeks, describing those events, Matthew chapter 25. So that judgment is part of those 75 days. Also, the world has to be remodified. The world is about to have been destroyed during the tribulation. There's been desolation, all those types of things. In order to introduce the kingdom, it, the world has to be modified back, re, revamped back to a place of utter peace and wonder and greatness. Now Jesus could do it with, it with a word at a simple moment. It only took him how long to create the entire world? Six days in actuality, seventh was resident, was his, his re resting day. And so he could do it in a moment. But that's going to occur here. There's also the resurrection of the Old Testament saints, as mentioned in Daniel 12, and as mentioned in Revelation 20, that all those of the first resurrection, so all those Old Testament saints that lived way back then, the Abrahams, the Moses, who were all promised to live in the kingdom with their bodies, they're going to be resurrected, and they're going to be able to go into that kingdom. Then we also have some suggest this idea that there's a marriage that takes place, a marriage between the bride of Jesus and Jesus, and there's a celebration the marriage feast. Some suggest it's right around this time period as well. Then there's the idea that, that those of us who go in the kingdom were given jobs. We'll talk more about it tonight, what job you might get in the heaven, in the kingdom, and what, what it's going to be like for you there. And we'll describe that more in detail tonight. But there's going to be job assignments that are going to be given for the kingdom. And so all of that's taking place within these 75 days. So that happens. In what order? I don't know. Okay, but I know that they're all taking place so when the kingdom is inaugurated we walk into a place that is underway just like the scripture says. What's it going to be like? Well, I know this, that all the wickedness will be removed. Go to Revelation 19. And you see the setting here in this entire context. Revelation 19. Let's back up to verse 11. It says, I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and him that sat upon it was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were as a flame of fire. On his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no man but himself knew. He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. His name is called the word of God. Who's that? That's Jesus coming from heaven. That's Jesus Christ descending from heaven at the end of the tribulation. And it goes on that it talks about how in verse 14, the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen and white and clean. Who's that? You're all right. Okay. The rest of you, I hope you're with this. Us. That's us. Verse 14. We're coming from heaven with Jesus. Okay. Jesus will all of a sudden as he's coming there's going to be a, 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 a situation where it says in verse 19, I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. That's Antichrist. That's all the people on earth who are following him. When they say Jesus, when they see Jesus and us coming from heaven, they're going to try to wipe us out. I just Every time I read this, I go, how stupid. You're seeing this miraculous creature being God, creator, coming out of heaven with all these millions of people on horses flying through the sky. Don't you think you stop and go, whoa, this is a miracle. 
No, I'm going to shoot them. Okay? This is like a duck hunt. You know, I'm going to do, you know. It's just like, how dumb can you get? Anyway, he goes on and he says what happens here is um, it, we, we found out in verse 15 what happened. Out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he would smite all the nations and he shall then rule with rod of iron. Verse 20 tells us what he does with Antichrist. It says, okay, um, the beast was taken and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him and which he had deceived them and that received the mark and then that worshipped his image. They're both cast where? Okay. They're cast in the lake of fire. Okay. Go a little bit further. Remember, remember that there is no bio, when the Bible was first written there's no paragraph chapter division. It's just a flowing text. So we read in verse 1 of the next chapter. I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold on the dragon, the old serpent, which is the devil, Satan, and bound him a thousand years. Do you see what's happening? All the wickedness and the wicked, wicked influences of those tribulation era, it's gone. The, the big three, the unholy trinity, they're all removed. Not only do they get removed out of the place, including Antichrist and his false prophet and all those demons, so that they can no longer tempt us, but also the people who followed Antichrist, who lived up to this time, his armies, his followers, everybody who took the mark, they're going to be judged, as the text says, they're going to be put into hell. That idea of the sheep goat judgment that we've already talked about. So when we start the kingdom, it's starting with only purity in the hearts and lives of every person who's there. Then the world is going to be changed. Not only the people, but the world itself. That whole idea of this atmospheric changes, I, I don't understand this. I don't understand these verses that promise that there's going to be change in the structure of the universe where the light of the moon will be like the light of the sun. The sun shall all of a sudden increase and there will be greater brilliance. I don't understand any other way that all of a sudden there's solar changes. The sun will become brighter. There's going to be more radiance from the sun. There's as well going to be even the protection from anything that could be harmful within those elements. That he talks about how all of a sudden God is going to revert back to like he did before the flood. That there was this protective, you know, the waters of the deep that were above us are going to be protecting us. And so we return to a world that is very similar to the Garden of Eden where it's climate control all over the planet where it's just beautiful and there's, there's this there's this moderation all over the planet where there isn't this intensity of cold or intensity of this great heat. The world is going to respond to it. All of a sudden the world will become fruitful, harvest like never before. We read that the bread of the increase of the earth shall be fat and plenteous. We read about that idea that all of a sudden the desert shall blossom as a road, uh, as a rose. It shall blossom abundantly. And I go, really? The desert is going to bloom. I can't even get my own yard to bloom right. I just, I plant seed. I get thistles. I get crabgrass. They're going to live in a time where everything is going to be just amazing in its beauty and its abundance. There shall be showers of blessings and the tree of the field. I used to have a, an apple tree in my yard that it was every three years it would basically cycle with some good apples. Take three years to get them. And, the, and yet even the good apples, the birds, the worms would get to them first before I could get to them. It's not going to happen during that time. 
You're going to have consistent fruit. You're going to have a garden that is going to be a bumper crop. You're going to, you're going to be able to, to plant and to work. The farmer doesn't have to worry anymore about a drought or anything of those sorts. The world would become abundant so that there is food aplenty for everyone who lives there. And for those of you who say, well, we won't be eating. The world's going to be populated by a lot of people during that time. Tonight I'll explain how that happens and show you from Scripture. A lot of people are birthed during this time period. And so the world's going to become more populated than, be, than even now. And as a result, the world is going to have no problem providing nourishment for everyone. We know there's no more famines during this time period. There's no more food shortages. They shall no more be consumed with hunger. We read, I will multiply the fruit of the tree, the increase of the field, that you receive no more famine. And we Americans, it kind of passes right by us. That says, oh well, because we're not used to famine. We're used to, oh man, I just ran out of chips in the cupboard. And that's a panic. In most of the world is worried about having their daily food. We are just spoiled people. The whole world will be as spoiled as us in this, in this kingdom. It is going to be food aplenty. The pantries will be full. There's not going to be any more of this natural catastrophes. The world will, re, will all of a sudden come in harmony with itself, the planet will not have these atmospheric problems. There will be no tornadoes. There will be no more of these, these uh, floods. There will be no more of these snowstorms that knock out power and people freeze. There will be no more of the tsunamis. There will be no more earthquakes. It's all going to become peaceful as the way God created it. Think about a world like that. Think about a world. I mean, the songwriter says, imagine. And went off into, you know, imagine a world of peace and a world of poverty, uh, of abundance, a world where there's no problems. Friend, it's not imagination, it's a reality in the future. It's going to happen. It's a place that God has promised those who believe in Him. It's a place where even nature and the animals will be changed. Do you remember during the tribulation that either the fourth or the fifth seal judgment, one of the aspects of it was animals would become more violent against men. And he talked about a quarter or a third of mankind, which one I forget, is going to be killed, and that's going to include not only famines and diseases, but animals attacking people. So in that seven years that just preceded this, animals have gone crazy. God says, I'm going to change animals. It's going to come back to a place where the nursing child, the, the preschooler, the infant, is going to be able to go and play by the hole of the snake and stick his hand down, and there's not going to be any problem. Why? Because the danger of animals, even the most dangerous of animals, is removed. They're, they won't be carnivorous animals anymore. It's going to revert back to where all of a sudden those that are eating today other animals, the animals won't eat one another. And kids will be able to have, think of what, think of what those kids that are born during that time period, think what kind of pets they can have. The most exotic, dangerous pets are no problem. It's, it, won't be a, it won't be a difficulty anymore. I listen periodically to different preachers so that I get my own spirit filled. And so I was listening to a message here, um, here this past week, and this preacher's talking about a trip that he took to Africa not too long ago. And as he was in this African uh, trip, and they took him through a safari where they had all kinds of animals, and he's in the Land Rover. And as they were driving along, all of a sudden up in that corner, there was a pride of lions there. And they stopped to look at him. And so he did the thing that most of us would do. Rolled down the window and stuck his head out with his camera and then his torso. So he was hanging out the window. And he says, the driver of the Land Rover very calmly said, Mister, 
Pull yourself back into this vehicle. Yes, that's right. Go slow. Get back in. Roll up that window. Yes, sir. All the way. Roll up that window. And as soon as he got back and rolled up the window, he said the driver turned around. Are you nuts? Yo, do you realize what could have happened to you? Just last week, we had a guy lean out the window and a lion attacked him all and pulled him out of the Land Rover. The pastor said, I never cracked the window the rest of that safari trip. Okay, none of that's going to be a danger anymore. It's, it's, just, it's going to be a place where there's perfect, perfect harmony. There'll be peace. Oh, okay, let's go have a march. Let's talk about peace, 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 peace. And in the meantime, we riot. Okay, that's modern day peace. Okay, the world in this future is going to be real peace. Not make-believe, not whatever you think the peace should be or one group. It's going to be universal peace. There is, the Bible says that we'll get rid of all weapons. Couldn't you imagine what, what we could do if we didn't need armies? What could be done? But reality of the sin nature says you need armies. You need police forces. Okay, it's a necessity by Scripture because of sin nature. And so he says, they shall beat their swords and plowshares, uh, their swords into plowshares and spears into farming equipment. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation. There is going to be a universal peace. It's going to be throughout the world. Violence shall no more be heard in your land. Great. No more destruction of private property in America. Well, in the kingdom. In the kingdom. Okay. It's going to phenomenal, phenomenal. There's going to be universal harmony. Think with me for a moment. What singular event in the Bible beyond the fall of mankind, what singular event created more division in mankind than any other? Tower of Babel. Tower of Babel. Because the division of the languages. Watch this. Then will I turn to the people a single tongue. We're going to be able to understand one another. We're going to be able to trust one another without any of these apprehensions. This is going to be a wonderful time. And there's going to be perfect leadership. Okay? There's going to be, and don't tell me it's the Republicans or it's the Democrats. Okay? Don't tell me that. There, in, 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 modern, in modern leadership, there is sin nature. Okay? So there's corruption on both sides of the aisle. And so there's going to be a perfect government and leadership. This is talking about Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom, understanding. All the, the seven spirits are going to be upon Jesus Christ as he rules and reigns. And as he gets some here to help rule and reign, he is going to help them to also judge in a way that they aren't judging by what they see, neither reprove after what they hear, no bribes, but with righteousness shall they judge, reprove with equity, and the righteous shall be the belt of their loins. Leadership will not not be corrupt. There will be no corruption in any way of people who are in leadership. People who are in law enforcement, there won't be any corruption. People who are in, in business, there won't be any corruption. He's talking about those in that time period, there's going to be perfect harmony. There will be no toleration of criminal activity. Criminal activity won't be overlooked by somebody having enough money or be part of some group. It's going to be a place where law and order will prevail. Amazing. A whole lot better than what we experience in this world. By the way, these are the promises. Don't tell me we're living in it right now. Okay? We don't. We, this is future. And the king shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and the breath of his lips shall slay the wicked. In other words, is there capital punishment in the future? Yes. Why is that? I'll explain next week. But he will rule and reign in, in a very... In a very uh, 
gracious fashion that will be righteous and holy. The other thing that happens is there's no illnesses or diseases. In that time period, the inhabitants will not say, I don't feel good. I, I, I don't, I'm having a reaction to a vaccine. Won't happen. Just won't happen. Won't, you, you won't go to doctors. Won't go to hospitals. Those who, who are dumb, they're all of a sudden, now think about it, those who live through the tribulation, very likely there could be a lot of those people maimed because they suffered persecution. Jesus will heal them so that those who might be lame, those who might be uh, uh, dumb or blinded, they're going to be restored like when Jesus was healing people here on earth years ago. And everybody entering into this kingdom, they're going to be in full well-being. Now we will because we have resurrected bodies, which I'll explain more next Sunday night, and so we won't have the problem. But the people who are going in with regular bodies, the kids who are being born during that time, it's going to be a, a, a phenomenal spot where they won't have what we have today. There won't be flu. There won't be pandemics. There won't be allergies. Praise God. Okay? There won't be birth defects. There won't be a need to go to the doctor and have your pacemaker redone. It's, just, it's going to be a perfect, healthy environment. We know as well that those of us who go in with our glorified bodies, our resurrected bodies that we get when we're raptured, we will just live through that time period. We won't die. We will have, but even those people who live and are birthed during that time with regular bodies, they, if they, if, if they were to die, they'll be called, hey, a, a, somebody 100 years old would be called a babe. Uh, we don't call 100-year-olds kids today. Okay, but in this future, long life will be restored like it was before the flood. And people will live a long time, and as a result, death will be rare. You won't see funerals like we do today. There won't be funeral homes. There won't be cemeteries. Death will be extremely rare. Some have suggested, well, maybe people will die because of accidents. I don't know about that. Maybe people die because they get really, really, really old. I don't know about that, but I do know this one that there will be some death because of disciplinary action. That those who rebel against Jesus Christ, he will slay the wicked. So there will be some death, but it will be very rare during that time period. What do I know about it? Well, this to me is an important thought. Because maybe I'm being stupid about it, but I look and see what's happening in our country today, and it scares me, not for me. It scares me for my grandkids and the next generation. What do they... Even right now, I look and I say, my grandkids, they are living in a time period where terrorism is part of their norm. They live in a time period where schools get attacked regularly. We didn't have that. Our biggest issues in school was you know, spitting spitwads, you know, chewing gum. What, what's the issues for kids? Kids attacking kids. You know, it's a whole different world. And I look and say, what are my grandkids? And if the, you know, what about great grandkids? What do they have to look forward to? I'll tell you what they have to look forward to if they get born again. If you share the gospel, they have a time of great joy. They have a time of great, watch what he says. The great, great shall be the peace of your children during this time period. He says this, the whole earth shall break forth into singing. He says this, you shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains, the hills shall break forth before you into singing. This morning when we were doing the early service, and a couple of you did this when we came in this morning. You walked up to the building, and earlier you could hear more of the birds chirping. People were coming in saying, isn't this beautiful today? Isn't this beautiful today? And it was. I don't know about you, but when you walked outside, it was just like, oh, I could go for this all 365 days a year. 
and the birds were just chirping. Can you imagine in this time period how loud the birds will be? How it'll sound? How nature itself will feel? Phenomenal. The millennium, beautiful time. Who's going to be there? Who's going to be there? Well, we know this. Jesus will be there and his angels. That's a gimme. We know this as well, that there was promised to the Old Testament saints all those passages. And let me throw something out to you that maybe you realize already, maybe you don't. There is more information given verse by verse, comparing. More details given about the kingdom than any other singular topic in the Bible. There's more information mentioned about it. All the prophecies that deal with Isaiah, Zechariah, all of them, all the prophets, they mention the kingdom at some time. Ezekiel, loaded with it. They talk more about what the kingdom will be like, what we will do in the kingdom. Tonight I'll share with you what we will do in the kingdom. And so it's given to the, a lot of the Old Testament saints. They're going to get resurrected in those 75 days, and they're going to be there. Okay, the Moseses, the Abrahams, the Davids, all those saints that you know about, the, the individuals who served the Lord and were faithful, they're going to be there with resurrected bodies. We're going to be there. How do I know that? Because the Bible says that when Jesus Christ comes back at any moment, takes us out of here, we're going to get our new bodies, and he'll take us to heaven, and we will ever be with the Lord. So when he comes back, Revelation 19, we already read with his armies, we come back with him. When he goes into the kingdom, we go into the kingdom with him. We will live with him. In fact, we will not only live with him, we will be given responsibilities, which I'll talk about this evening. So we're going to be there. Then he talks about the tribulation saints. If you go back to verse 4, in this passage, Revelation 20. Look at verse 4. There are all those who did not take the mark of the beast, who uh, many of them were, uh, were martyred, individuals who did not give in to Antichrist. They are going to be able to go into the kingdom. They will be resurrected. He even says they are part of the first resurrection. They're going to be resurrected and they will go into the kingdom. Then there is a whole other element of people that the people who lived through survived the tribulation like the third of the Jews who when Jesus comes back they will respond to him, declare master. The Gentiles who helped the Jews. Do you remember Matthew 25 where Jesus said I shall say unto you uh, enter my kingdom because when you saw me hungry you fed me. When you saw me naked you clothed me. When you saw me in prison you visited me. And people will say when did we see you naked and uh, uh, hungry and thirsty? And he will say when you did this to the least of mine. He's talking about the Jews being persecuted. And the Gentiles who didn't give in to Antichrist they helped the Jews. They help them out during that tribulation period. Some of them will survive. They will live. And then he will gather all of those who have lived through the tribulation and he'll divide them into two groups. The sheep and the goats. The goats are the followers of Antichrist who's been cast in the lake of fire. They will end up in hell. The rest who did not take the mark, who did believe in Jesus Christ, who assisted the Jews who are being persecuted, they'll go into the kingdom with their normal bodies. And so we have all these people entering into the kingdom. But the key and the common denominator is they have to be born again. None of us will be able to get into the kingdom unless we're born again. None of us. How do I know that? The words of Jesus. Jesus said, except you be born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. 
He wanted to make sure that Nicodemus understood. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And as a result, Jesus says, therefore I say unto you, you must be born again. You cannot get into the kingdom by baptism. You cannot get into the kingdom by going to church. You will not get into this kingdom by by being a Baptist, by being a preacher, by being a nice person by being an American. The only way you get into this kingdom is being born again. That's what Jesus said. And Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father. He knows what he's talking about. He's the one who's creating this kingdom. He's the one who judges who goes in. And he says, here's the standard. You must be born again. How do you get born again? How do you get born again? You get born again by admitting that you are a sinner. And you cannot get to heaven by your own good works. And you turn to Jesus, who died, buried, and resurrected, and ascended for you, and you say, Jesus, you have eternal life in your hands. You and you alone give it out. Please adopt me. We sang about it before. Adopt me. Make me a part of your family so that I can have eternal life. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You need to call upon the Lord. You need to believe in Him. If you believe not, you're condemned already. But he that believes shall have everlasting life. It's all about connecting with Christ. Being, being one who has believed in Him. So what do you do? What do you do with this? If you are not sure you're born again, why don't you settle it today? Why don't you make sure? Some of you say, I just don't know. I don't remember. Well, make sure you know and you remember. Make it a definite that you absolutely are confident you're on your way to heaven and you won't miss this kingdom. We'll give you that opportunity in just a minute. We'll have our staff head over to that door. And when we're praying, you are welcome to get up and go and talk to any one of the staff members. They will show you from the Bible how you get born again. Make sure you know. Make sure you know. Friends, make sure your kids hear this. Make sure your grandkids hear this. Don't just say, oh, I, 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 woe, woe to our grandkids living in this world. Yeah, yeah, it's difficult in this world. But you don't want them to mix the next one. You want them to make sure they're headed for heaven. You have the truth. Give it to your family. Tell them. Plead with them. Let them know they must be born again. Pray for them. Fast for them. Do whatever it takes. If you have that confidence, if you know your family's going to be with you, thank God you're going to be in this kingdom. You can't, you can't, don't walk out of here today and just say, oh, that was neat. Get on your knees sometime today and say, God, thank you for saving me. Thank you for saving my family. If it wasn't for what you did, we would end up in hell. But we've got this glorious future ahead of us. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Those of you who are born again, We'll talk more about this evening. Those of you who are born again, what you do in this life is going to determine job assignment in the kingdom. It's, you're going to get there because you're born again. But what you do now will determine your service in the future. Make sure you're serving now. You're doing your best to follow Christ. Don't make a mistake. Don't get caught up with the wrong stuff.
True story of a marathon runner a few years ago, right around 2000. This gal would run the international marathons. And she got an invitation to a marathon in New York, so she responded. She sent in her application. She was going after the big prize of thousands and thousands of dollars for the first place person. And so she messed up her travel plans. She ended up getting to New York really uh, just the day before. She got somebody to write down handwritten directions where the race was to take place. She got up late. Everything was going wrong. She had a rental car and she got lost in New York. Can you imagine? In New York City getting lost. And she got lost there and she's looking for it and she, it's early in the morning. She doesn't know where she's at. She doesn't know where the race is. She pulled over and saw a guy that was outside his store opening it up. She asked him if he knew where this race was taking place, a marathon race. He said, well, you know what? I did hear talk about just down the street three blocks and a couple blocks over, there's a big uh, mall there. There's a parking lot. They're getting ready. And she says, that must be the place. They said it's by some big store. So she drove down there, got out of her car, ran up to the registration table, and she announced who she was. And when she said her name, they were all, the people there knew. She was a, a famous competitor. And they were so excited that she was there at their race. And they looked through her application, couldn't find it. But that's okay, she's famous. So they got her number, got her squared away. She gets into the line, right as the race is ready to start looking this way. And like, boy, there's not as many people as normal. Competition doesn't look like it normally does. And gun went off, she raced. She ended up winning this thing four minutes before the next person. You know, the marathon. And she's like, wow. You know, this is amazing. Everybody was so far behind. And when they came to giving out the awards, they walked up and they gave her a T-shirt. <laughs> then they gave her the medallion. And then they gave her this plaque. And she still has her hand out waiting for the thousands and thousands of dollars of a check. She never got it. Because this wasn't that big race. She was at a secondary race that was more of a neighborhood type of a thing. She had run the race... She had been busy, but she was focusing on the wrong one. She wasn't where she was supposed to be. There are some people sitting here this morning. You're running the wrong race. You might be busy. You might be sweating it out. But you're not in the right race. The one that says, hey, I'm working for the kingdom. I'm focusing on what God is going to reward me with one day. Get in the race of serving Jesus the right way. One, make sure you're born again. Two, serve Christ the right way this week. Father, I thank you for this assurance that one day there's going to be this kingdom here on earth. Thank you that we're going to be there if we're born again. And with your heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're not born again, our staff is headed to that side door. Get up, go over there and talk with them right now. Let them show you from the Bible how you get born again. Please do it right now. Well, I'm going to continue praying. You can just get up, squeeze by folk. They won't mind. They'll be glad that you did it. Go over there and talk with somebody right now while I continue to pray. Father, for those here who aren't sure, I pray that they would have the urgency, the compulsion of the Spirit, the boldness, the, the absolute common sense that's needed to make sure that they're on their way to heaven this day. Father, for the many who are born again, who are here listening to my voice, help them, help me to be caught up with the right race, not to be distracted by secondary things. It's so easy to be all caught up with the house and with the job and with those things that are important, but they really don't matter in the kingdom if we don't handle things right. Help us to be really urgent about 
living righteously, winning souls, serving you to the best of our ability, serving in a local church, getting involved where we are discipling others. Lord, that's where the crowns are. They're in that type of a lifestyle of purity and service. A lifestyle that's given to getting out the word and discipling others and assisting in local church. Father, I pray that each and every one from youngster to oldster would be focused in the right run, the right race, so that one day we can hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Until that time, we would pray what your scripture says. We would pray, Father in heaven, we pray for your kingdom to come and your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Until that day, help us to be faithful, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. See you tonight when we pick up and talk about what you do in the kingdom.